0: And welcome back to the Cibolo Creek Conversations Podcast. My name is Wyatt Marchant, and I'm here with Mr. Paul Wilson. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Feeling good. Good. Yeah. Um, We were just talking um, a few minutes ago. This is, you've been married seven months now?
0: Yes. Seven months.
1: Wow. You're almost an old pro.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now I can probably start doing a class on it or something, right? Start
1: teaching a class (laughs) or writing a book or, you know.
0: Man, there's nothing that really grinds my gears more than a really young couple who knows nothing about marriage doing like a marriage podcast. Doing a marriage podcast. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> uh, guy, why are you telling me? I don't even disagree with what you're saying, but hush.
1: <laughs> like, yes, fine. Yeah, this is always an interesting insight into your mind. You don't want to go too far into that. <laughs> my, I'm surprised I've been married for seven months and my wife's had to listen to me just rant all the time. I don't mind somebody who's new or inexperienced at something speaking to it if their their vantage point is hey i'm new and inexperienced and here's some things we're learning the hard way yeah or here's some things that we've seen that have been interesting to us in the experience What whatever the experience might be but we're talking about marriage i i don't mind that if it comes from a real humble heart but if somebody's sort of trying to come across as, you know, the expert and uh, the authority on it with such a limited experience, then I probably would say uh, that grinds my gears too. Um,
0: Because I've done it, but I appeal to somebody or a couple with authority. So, like, I've said, I'm trying to strive to this, or I've heard that this is great, or so-and-so said this about marriage. Yeah. Right? But I've never said... Well, Wyatt Marchant says this. (laughs) No. And that's what this one time, this this couple I'm referring to, that's what this guy was doing. And I was like, okay, I don't need this.
1: So what I overheard is um, that you had uh, bought your wife some flowers for your seventh month anniversary.
0: Yeah. Good
1: for you. I'll tell you what.
0: I hadn't (laughs) done anything the previous months. so.
1: (laughs) So you were saving it up.
0: Hmm. And I was close to H E B.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> I've seen. No, all I, w- I just went to H E B. Though it is very close to the gym. Did you I mean, go for the flowers, or you were there for something else, and you saw the flowers and decided, hey, I should probably take some of no, these home. I went for the
0: flowers, and then I had something else I was looking for too, but I didn't have. Oh. It. So I just got the flowers.
1: Okay. Yeah, I yeah. was. Uh, I was out. I was coming home from something the other night. And there was this big bouquet of flowers just laying right in the middle of the street. What? Big. It was like roses and the whole, you know, little white floral stuff around it. And I was like, ooh, somebody went and bought their wife flowers or their husband and bought them flowers, laid it on top of the car to put something else inside the car, forgot, drove away from H-E-B, their two or three miles away. And then it finally fell off their car and they got home and like, where in the world are my flowers? That's interesting that your mind went there.
0: My mind immediately went to a dude bought flowers to like ask a girl out or ask her to marry her. She said, no, he (laughs) He walks back to his car and chunks him out of the road.
1: Wow. Yeah. Very much darker way of thinking about it. (laughs) So much sadder. So So there's a funny story. I tell when I was in graduate school, I had a couple of different jobs, um, I was a pool cleaner for a couple months. Most of the time I was in graduate school, I was a, a painter, painted mm. houses. Um, I was a youth pastor for a while. But one of the jobs I had um, when I was in graduate school, I was a courier. So I, after class, I'd go to this, like the headquarters, and you'd sit there, and then they would give you a call. And they'd say, hey, you need to deliver this to a certain place. So I'd drive to the place to pick the thing up and then scurry across town to deliver the thing. And there was different, um, there was different times that a delivery had to be made. But they had this one called a hot shop. And it had to be there 30 minutes or less. And the customer paid additional you know, for that service. So I remember I got a call, and it was a hot shot. And it was like on the complete opposite end of the city of Dallas, actually the metroplex of Dallas-Fort Worth. And I had to go pick up a bouquet of flowers. So I go to the flower shop. I pick up these flowers. And it was just in this big round vase with water and big huge spread of flowers. And I didn't have anywhere to put it so I set it down on the floorboard uh over on the passenger side of the car. The only problem was the car I had at the time was uh stick shift, stick shift. And so I had to I was driving holding the vase but every once in a while I'd have to take my hand off of it to Uh, shift the gears of the car and i'm driving through you know inner city dallas fort worth traffic and it was literally miles and miles away and it was sort of like five o'clock so traffic was crazy and i'm racing to try to get there i get all of the way to the place where i'm supposed to deliver it and i have to make a, a left hand turn and when i do i'm shifting down and that bouquet of flowers topples over so i grab it real quick and i find a parking spot to where i'm supposed to go in and i notice that one of the roses had broken off mm. and i just like oh no i don't know what to do and i said well I, i'm just making this impromptu decision i don't want to you know turn in this bouquet of flowers and go oh and here's the one that broke off so i just took that one out and I went in and dropped it off to the front desk and to the person it was supposed to go to, and then I left. And I got to driving home, and I'm like, oh, man, some husband's going to be in big trouble because he probably bought 20 roses for their 20th anniversary, but she's going to count there were only 19 roses, and she's going to go, you forgot how many years we've been married? And then he would have been, no, I ordered 20 roses and no, neither of them the wiser that I had removed the one that had broken off. And I've always, to this day, I still feel a little twinge of, I don't know, guilt or shame or wrong that I committed yeah, dude. because I... He thought he'd done well, he thought and she gets home and just starts at him right away. And it was all my fault.
0: Is that something that people do? They add roses for the years?
1: Yeah, well... That used to be a thing until, like, roses became, like, gold. And so to buy 20 roses is is very expensive. So I'm, mm. I'm sure some people still do it to that day, but to this day. But um, I've priced out 34 roses. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. You know how upset I would be if I bought the flowers and I still was in trouble?
0: <laughs> I'm like, the yeah. likelihood of you getting flowers again is so low.
1: <laughs> yeah, that... That's, I get that. I'm like,
0: God, I just, I tried. I tried. I still failed.
1: And because of some no-name courier, I failed. It's and not my problem. <laughs> I ain't dealing with this. Happy anniversary. <laughs> I'm going to my office. <laughs> oh. Oh, boy. Seven months. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I can still remember doing the wedding. It was like, like it was not that long ago. It was a good time. It was a good time. It was a good time. And every
0: wedding I go to now just... Makes me feel. Hang on, the people that listen, the people I'm referring to, listen to us. <laughs> Who listens to your podcast? Yeah, uh, I think that you, like I said last time, you just did a great job with the ceremony. Um, but if you're wanting a very like short ceremony that's completely different, but even just the warmth that it felt um, was just much better. So well, you nailed it. You're pro. Yeah.
1: Well, some of that's experience, but some of that is. The warmth is a genuine love for you and Allie. And yeah, the, the connection. Getting yeah. to be a part of it. Um, I mean, I try to bring my whole self to whatever wedding I do, but some of them naturally are going to be a bit more affectionate and a bit more um, warm just because of my relationship with someone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, Absolutely.
0: was a good time. Very appreciative. But... Um, so today... <clears throat> We actually got a, uh, this, the topic that we're going to cover, the question we're going to cover, was a suggestion by a uh-huh. student in, well, by a student that goes to our church. And um, I just asked her, I was like, hey, I was one, I was surprised she listened, because though I'm young, I'm very old-minded, so it's basically just two old guys talking on a <laughs> podcast. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to see what young people thought and what they wanted to hear about and what they were struggling with and... Um, If they're struggling with it, I'm sure everybody is to a certain degree. So today um, we're going to talk about um, a question, which is how do we live in the world and keep ourselves from becoming of the world, right? And so uh, that's obviously something that I think that we probably talk about kind of a lot. Like we do, we were talking about this before we started recording, we do kind of stay in this vein of... Um, the pressures that Christians are kind of feeling both with culture and society, but like there's a reason for that to a certain degree, and just because all of us are experiencing it, and all of us have a lot of questions about how do we handle this. And so this one I think is very pertinent mm-hmm. to the time. Um, and you mentioned last time, which I love, you were just talking about how you feel very, um, you feel like your responsibility to hold the line, quote, unquote. Part of that is um, not becoming of the world. So, Mr. Paul Wilson, how do we live in the world and keep ourselves from becoming of the world?
1: Yeah, so um, there's a lot of different ways that I might approach answering that. So it is a a specific instruction of the Scriptures and of Christ is that we are to be in the world but not of the world. So just taking it at face value. It has something to do with you live on this earth, you live in, uh, you are human, you live in the mass of humanity, you're in the world. But we're not to be of the world. So um, one of the places to begin is, what is the world in that context? So you got this Greek word, cosmos, and it's typically used in one of two ways, but there's other ways that it's used. Sometimes it means just like the created universe. Uh, And sometimes, and most often, it has to do with the inhabitants of the earth, or it has to do with human beings. So the world, typically, as it's used in the scriptures, having to do with um, the inhabitants of the earth, human beings. And then a deeper dive into that word and how it's most often used in the Scripture. It has to do with the practices, the beliefs, the perspectives, the behaviors that characterize the world in which we live in. So, um, by way of contrast, you would have these two words that um, stand if you will, in contrast to each other. You have the world, from which we get the idea of worldly, meaning we're associated with and immersed in the things, the beliefs, the values, the habits, the practices, the behaviors that typify humanity. And that specifically is humanity outside of Christ. And then you have the word godly. So that means now... Rather than being of the world, you're of God. So the things that would be associated with God become your values, your beliefs, your behaviors. So you got this big contrast. Don't be worldly, but be godly. The call of Christians. Okay. So when he's saying... Um, don't be of the world it's the calling of the christian from being influenced by and being um, governed by those practices those beliefs those values those behaviors that are typical of people outside of christ did you follow all that yeah
0: um do you think that it i guess back i guess to a certain degree about location do you think that it I guess it's the instruction to to live in the world or to be in the world. Does that also instructing us not to just completely seclude ourselves?
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, we'll get to that in the conversation. Is then if we're not supposed to be of the world, then what are we supposed to be Got of? It. Okay. Didn't
0: mean to jump the gun.
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. So if we're not of the world, we have to ask the question, well, then what am I supposed to be of? Which I think is really the heart of the question. Yeah. And it's surprising how many Christians couldn't answer yeah. the question. Yeah. So if we're not of the world, what are we supposed to be of? And I would say, in short, we are supposed to be of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Because the way that the word world is used is it's basically saying, don't be of the kingdom of this world, but in contrast, be of the kingdom of God. So really start talking about like rule and authority and the submission of a person to a way of life. So it's interesting then the way that the world is described is that's the kingdom of darkness. That's the rule of Satan. Whereas now we're talking about the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of light. That's the rule of God. So really... If you get down behind it all, we're talking about what kingdom do you submit to? What kingdom do you live in honor of? Which king do you serve? That's another way to say it, which is a more precise and a more um, compelling way to say it. What king do you serve? Because somebody once said, we all serve somebody. Yeah, and
0: that's and that's a big thing because a lot of the people that I listen to that might not be religious, they they oftentimes appeal to freedom, mm-hmm. but they're still serving something. Yeah, they're still serving. They're still underneath kingdom rule, just a different kingdom.
1: Yeah, so it, this has always been kind of important to me in explaining this, is that all of us, I don't care, Christian, non-Christian, I don't care where you live in the world, I don't care what race or ethnicity, what age, what gender, um all of us live according to a set of beliefs now not everybody would be able to like specifically delineate what their beliefs are but we have a set of beliefs yeah. regardless of who we are those beliefs influence perspective those beliefs influence how you see life those perspectives end up influencing values Values are simply what you think is most important compared to other things. And those values then influence priorities because we're gonna act in relationship to what we value. We're gonna pursue um, time and energy around the things that are most valuable to us. And then those, those um, priorities ultimately become the fashion of what is our behavior. So what I'm saying is that every human being has a set of beliefs that shape a perspective that influence values that become priorities that ultimately then become an expression of how they behave. And so in this conversation there's there's there are people who allow the world who allow their king to shape their beliefs, their values, their behavior. In contrast, the Christ followers being called to allow King God to shape their beliefs, to shape their values, to shape their behaviors. And in that way, we end up living in accordance with one of those two kingdoms. Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it makes sense in my mind. I'm not always sure that I explain it as precisely as I need to but um and the interesting thing as a pastor is that I'm essentially a shepherd in the lives of people who in many ways are trying to straddle both kingdoms it's like a different rule set
0: for two different games that's a great way to say that
1: yeah yeah so um yeah that's a, that's a wonderful way to say it is that The kingdom of this world has a set of rules, and they determine then how you live. And the kingdom of God has a very different set of rules, and they determine how you are to live or how you to play that game. And the Christian, the Christ follower, who doesn't really understand the rules of the game when it comes to the kingdom of God what we end up seeing is, by default, they just live according to the rules of the world, and then they play the game that way. And so, you know, the instruction of Scripture, come out and be separate, is that we are to move away from those beliefs, those values, those behaviors that are typical of somebody who plays the rules according to a kingdom of Satan, Come out of that and learn a new way to play the game, and we're using just the the game illustration. We're asking you to. God is asking us to come out and learn a new way to live. Yeah. And so that's what it means to be holy, right? Or part of what it means. Yeah, part of to what, be what it is the holy is to be set apart. Is that our lives were to be different as Christians? Not weird, not. Um, not antagonistic but our lives were to be qualitatively different because of the king that we serve and how he's asked us to live our life and you know if we had the time we could drill down into what are the what are different beliefs that the kingdom of satan operates on and what are the beliefs the kingdom of god operates on what are the values that the kingdom of satan operates on what are the values the kingdom of god operates on and What are the behaviors that the kingdom of Satan approves and affirms? And what are the behaviors that the kingdom of God affirms? And when a Christian, when a Christian can really begin to understand the, the tension of the two kingdoms and where their calling is, then they, they really have a running start at being able to pursue a life that is qualitatively different. If they'll give themselves to it.
0: That's really good. Um, and I think it also just planned out the next two episodes because I've been wanting to do an episode on Satan, so we could do Satan in his kingdom. Okay, next year, next week, and then the week after that, we'll do God in His kingdom, and this will okay. be the intro to the two. How's that? Oh, very good. I'm but okay. no, but no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, and um, and that's definitely a struggle that every Christian finds themselves in. Is that <laughs> it feels like they're in the kingdom of the world, Satan's kingdom, uh, it feels like we're in the middle of it, and then we just have to, there's a lot of, there's a, it's a heavy, I think she even said this, the girl who gave the suggestion, is like, well, we Jesus said that my yoke is easy, but it's so difficult
1: when it feels like you're living in Satan's kingdom. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, without a doubt, because we live in the world, the kingdom of Satan has a greater influence. Yeah. Um, the majority of people follow that kingdom. And the majority of what shapes our beliefs and our values and our behaviors is the society in which we live. That's why the calling of a Christian is such a unique and um, at times very difficult pursuit because you're living according to a kingdom that's incredibly unpopular, carries a fair share of risk, and to do it well can be incredibly costly. Mm. So um, that, in that way, it's hard to be a Christian because in many ways you feel like you're always swimming upstream or living, not in in some sense defiance, but that's not your attitude I'm defiant about it, but it, it takes a enormous amount of determination and discipline to not be suckered into... The beliefs, the values, and the behaviors of a of a kingdom that's lived in contrast to the kingdom of God. It's also kind of our innate state to desire yes. the kingdoms of that, yeah, or desire things of that kingdom because we're sinners, yeah, because we're all yeah wretched, and that's why you know the the power of the gospel and the the truth of conversion and uh, salvation and forgiveness; those are all really powerful themes. For helping somebody to live above the pressure and the the tension of this this kingdom of darkness,
0: you know, this just popped in my head.
1: But even
0: uh, even just the title change, because I think titles used to mean a lot. Obviously, titles used to mean a lot more back, at, especially when the Bible was written, than they do now. But from being like we're always like we're always going to be sin, but we go from being called, you know, the sinners or the world to like a son or daughter of God, or now
1: you're of God's kingdom. Like that title change yeah. changes a lot. Sure. In fact, uh, throughout the New Testament, um, Christians are often referred to as saints. Mm. So like we have this mind, what a, in our, we have this image in our mind of what a saint is, like, a, you know, the perfect uh, spiritual person but saints really just a word of position because you're in Christ you are his son or his daughter god sees you as completely acceptable and pure in his sight not because you're such a good person but because of the life of Christ applied to you he sees you as a saint and because then he sees you that way we really can be we can live into that i'm not perfect But God sees me as having all of the appeal of a holy and righteous person in his sight because of Christ, that now I can live up to my potential. And the same with the image of son and daughter, the same image of I was created in the image of God. Because those are beliefs that typify the kingdom of God. Whereas over here in the kingdom of Satan, that's not what Satan's telling you. And, um, so we just start with that fundamental belief of the two different kingdoms where you even start from. And, um, it just calls out a different lifestyle.
0: Yeah. What about, um, this is kind of, this is related. You brought up saints. What about, uh, being, are we all priests
1: in a way? Yeah. Um, so I think it's first Peter, second Peter. Um, the church, the body of Christ, Christians, were referred to as priest, meaning we offer a, a ministry, a service of ministry to people. So just like a priest offer, offered ministry to people because of our calling as Christians, because of our knowledge of the gospel, because of our experience as Christians, those who have been the recipients of salvation, then we become priests in the sense that we can then offer that same good news to others. We can serve them as, you know, the other way that it might be described as ambassadors of Christ. Um, so you, get, you take like um, uh, priest, you take ambassador, you take witness, and... While they are all, there's differences when it comes to nuance, they're all essentially the same thing. And that is that you, as a Christian, you were intended to have influence in the world that you live in. You're immersed in it, you're surrounded, but you don't have to be it. You can be a minister, you can be a priest, you can be an ambassador and a witness for the kingdom that you serve. And priests in the Old Testament, at least the
0: high priest, they had a particular responsibility to God, and in this case, the king, too, right? Right. And so is that responsibility also taken or given to us to a
1: certain degree? Yeah, and it's given to us, all of us, not just pastors. All Christians are referred to as having priestly functions that they serve on behalf of the king toward others got it that makes sense okay yeah but my favorite one of my favorite references in all of this is this idea of ambassadors that we we are appointed as Christians we are appointed to be representatives and spokespeople on behalf of the kingdom of God.
0: In a foreign land, right?
1: In a foreign land. Yeah, yeah. so Philippians chapter 3, where we're citizens of another world mm-hmm. happen to be living in this one, so there's happened, you know, a, a sense we're, we're just tourists here. We're just passing through. Now, our passing through may take 80, 90 years, and so God has a purpose for us, for the time that we're on this earth, and that is to be his ambassadors of love, his ambassadors of kindness and grace, and his ambassadors of the gospel, his ambassadors of helping people understand there's two kingdoms. One of them is a really wise way to live your life, and it comes with eternal reward. That's, that's what we serve to represent. And again, the number of Christians who actually understand that to live into it is unfortunately very small.
0: Yes, yeah. Yeah, it, a, they think it's kind of like a stamp you get on the way into an event. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so, okay. Well, then what are we supposed to be, if we're not supposed to be of the world, um, I think that what we've covered there kind of distinguishes the two. What are we supposed to be of, and then... And then how does that play into today's context?
1: I mean, let's go that direction. Yeah, I, I think the simplest way to say that is we are supposed to be of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And the best guidelines for what that looks like is Jesus. So the more I learn about and reflect Jesus in my life, the more likely I'm going to reflect the lifestyle of the kingdom of god because when you think about it jesus comes to earth he lives as the perfect embodiment of somebody who lives under the authority of king god and he gives us the example and he provides us the instructions about how we might do that and those instructions look like be humble be loving be kind be giving, be unselfish, um, be respectful, don't live in fear, um, be pure. Th- those You start accumulating those instructions from Jesus, then what you're doing is that you're moving in the path of somebody who lives under the rule of God. And... I you know this comes back to the discussion about savior and lord. Mm-hmm. And a lot a lot of the last I don't know 25 50 years of the church the message has primarily been about Jesus as savior and that's a great message. I'm not not critical of it. He saves you from your sin, he gives you eternal life. The one discussion that doesn't get the same amount of traffic is Jesus as lord what is lord is king so there's a whole dimension of following christ where i live up under his authority and what he says i am to do That's the essence of obedience so it's really living up under the lordship of jesus christ that best orients or positions us to be people who live in the kingdom of god yeah. while immersed in this world and so we go to work we go to school we live in our neighborhoods we we do the things of life and i have a decision to make every time i encounter one of those environments that's a that's an environment of the world but i come into it as an ambassador of christ i come into it as into work as an ambassador of christ i go to the ball field when my son's playing little league and i go as an ambassador of christ and I go to school every day as an ambassador of Christ. Well, if I truly live in that regard, well, then there's things that are going to typify my behavior at work and at the ballpark and at uh, school. And where it gets really confusing, and certainly in some degree probably breaks the heart of God, is when somebody goes to work and they don't act any differently than everybody else at work who has no place for God in their life. Or, you know, parents show up at the ballpark and they're they're idiots in how they behave. They're yelling and screaming at the refs mm-hmm. and, you know, all of the stuff. And they're not ambassadors. People don't see anything qualitatively different about their life. People go to school. I mean, we, we know about this all the time As students go to school and they live their life very much like everybody else at school. Well, they're not living in submission to Jesus as Lord and they're not living as a reflection of the kingdom of God in their life. And I think that's, that's where we drop the ball and we become of the world instead of just in the world. How can we,
0: because the other side of the church, which is not what we're getting right now, it's very, um, as far as, we don't like describing the rules of the kingdom right now in the American church. Uh, But then the other side of that is it becomes very rigid and legalistic where it's all about rules. So how do we lovingly as the body of Christ invite one another and encourage one another and instruct one another to be not of this world? And how do we build one another up to be of the kingdom of God rather than of this world without becoming one yeah. of
1: two of those extremes yeah, yeah um that's a good question and there's lots to it but i think the easy way <coughs> excuse me i think the easy way to answer it would be what christ called the law of love that we begin functioning out of a heart of love for those we encounter and because I love them, and because I love Jesus, I seek to respond to his um, instructions as a response rather than a requirement. Because Jesus loves me, he knows what's best for me, then a life of humility is the wise response, not the requirement. Um because he loves me, he knows that kindness will be much more influential rather than like criticism and judgment and being up in people's faces. So I pursue a life of kindness to people I want to have influence uh, for the sake of not only my love for Jesus, but my love for them. And so if if we can begin to live to what James calls the royal law of love, like the highest expression of what everything that Christ instructed, then then I become, um, I become a softer, more gentle kind of person in the way that I live out my faith. That doesn't mean I don't tell the truth. That doesn't mean I don't have hard discussions. Doesn't mean at times that I might not, you know, be involved in confronting something, but I don't have to be a jerk about it. I love in the New Testament, there's this one passage in scripture where it talks about just living a quiet, peaceful life. Mm. Like it it there's a sense to which a Christian just goes about his life as a as an inhabitant of the kingdom of God. He's not trying to create trouble. He's not trying to stir up trouble. He's not trying to stir the pot. He's just going about living his life as one who's been called to be an ambassador of christ so he he loves his family well and he does his work diligently and he spends his money on the things that matter and he just goes about being a positive contributor to a society as a christ follower well that quiet peaceful kind of life also comes with an instruction that we are to be witnesses and so it's in the course of living the quiet peaceful life if you will that he wins the opportunity to speak into the lives of other people and to give a witness Um, peter says you know always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks of you the reason that of the hope you have well what's that hope it's a reflection of something very different that somebody goes, what is it with you? I don't see you worry like everybody else. I don't see you chasing after the things that everybody else seems to chase after. And yet your life seems rich and noble and peaceful and and healthy and good. What is that? Well, that's the opportunity to say, well, that's the difference that Christ made in my life. Yeah. And so and there's a sense to which just going quietly about your life, living as one who submits to the rule of Christ in their life and his kingdom that we also then afford ourselves at least some credibility to be able to share the message of the gospel with those that are that live under our influence and that can happen at work and that can happen at school and that can happen in our neighborhood but all of that gets broken if two things happen either the christian's not a good reflection of someone living under the rule of Christ, because they've adopted all these beliefs and values and behaviors of a world that doesn't honor God, or they become the jerks who, you know, are always up in people's grill yelling and screaming and judging and criticizing. And, and they just have this kind of, you know, um, aggressive, hate filled, um kind of uh vitriolic sort of approach to trying to, you know, cram the gospel down people's throats. Yeah. And what we see is that it's not effective and it's not a reflection of either Jesus or the early church and um and so then it it's destructive or at least it's it um creates more problems than what was intended.
0: It probably feels people who aren't of faith probably feels very similar to how Christians feel with a lot of the societal things. Yeah. You know, where we feel like things are being shoved down our throat.
1: Oh, sure. And so, yeah, there's always been sort of a tricky tension to the instructions to share our faith and to be bold about it or to be confident and courageous in it without coming across as the jerk and that's uh, that's why i would say that the 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 greatest most effective method to sharing your faith is not standing on the street corner yelling at people yeah the most effective way to share your faith is by being a loving kind gracious neighbor and building the relational rapport where you might have the opportunity to share the thing that's made the greatest difference in your life, and that's Christ.
0: A lot of it's by action, like yeah. Uh, over the past three years, we saw plenty of examples, um, and I'll be vague. Plenty of examples of I'll be vague of people um, of people being kind of pressured into doing something that they weren't necessarily wanting to do, and but then once one or two said no, I don't want to, they kind of took that charge. Well, then everybody else felt they f- they either looked at them curious or they joined alongside. Right. right, but it took just one or two. Right, it's like yeah. evil wins if if all good men say nothing. Right, right. right. Um, so, I, and that's why I love the Book of James. It just because it, it focuses so much on action. Yes, and so instead of just it's not a do as I say, not as I do scenario. It's it's do as I do. I mean, or, or yeah, you know, like recognize recognize that I'm a Christian because of my action. Oh.
1: Or or my non-action, depending on what the thing is. Um, yeah. No, yeah. I, I I think if you study the New Testament thoroughly, what you'll find is that the greater emphasis of what it means to share your faith is to live your faith. Yeah, And then in the context of the rapport that you earn through the relational network that you develop with your influence, it gives you the opportunity. I, I can't remember who said this. And this isn't an exact quote, but basically, you know, the instruction is you share your faith and sometimes you might use words. Mm. I love that. Because really the great test is are you going to live out your faith in front of your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates in a way that they go, that person's different. That person doesn't go along with the crowd doing all the things that we do. They courageously at times walk away from what everybody else is doing. And there's, there can be a, a tremendous amount of admiration when somebody sees that. You know, <clears throat> people, that some
0: Christian folk might not like my reference to this individual, but Jordan Peterson, he, I'm not even saying I agree with him, I'm just saying I like it for this <laughs> particularly. I'm not even being touch about JP, but when it comes to religion, there's slight nuance. He defined belief... Uh, 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 kind of shortly as to act as if you be- to act as if something is true. Yes, that is. Believing. And and that's just such a better way of looking at it than just um, I'm going to say I believe this thing to be true, yeah. but not show it in my action. I'm going to say I believe in God, but I'm not in His kingdom, yeah. I'm not living under His edict or His rule or that that set of rules.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, belief in the Bible, that's the same concept of faith. And many people think of faith as this intellectual collection of truths. Yeah. But really, the essence of faith in the scripture is trust. It's the truth you believe, the truths truths that you believe enough to act upon. That's really what your faith is, is what will you act upon. It's also wisdom. Yes. Which I think is beautiful. Yes. In fact, I'm preparing a message here um, for this week. And I got to thinking about the word love. And again, in most Americans' minds, the word love is sort of an emotional thing or a feeling thing. It's an affection thing. and, And we're very kind of flippant with it. We'll say, I love pizza or, you know, I love... I love pizza and Jesus loves me.
0: What two (laughs) drastically
1: different statements. I haven't heard that one. But the same word. Yeah. Okay. But we use the word as to describe something that we're affectionate or fond of. Yes. Yeah. But the word love in the scripture wasn't about that. It was about moving to meet the needs of another person. It was about this unselfish concern for the needs of another and so when you talked about loving somebody it wasn't just that i you could say oh i really like them or i really care for them or I'm really fond of them the idea was i love them therefore i serve them yeah i move to meet needs in their life and so the reason i'm exploring that right now is we're going to talk about this idea when jesus says if you Love me, you will keep my commandments. Don't tell me that you're fond of me. Don't tell me you're affectionate toward me because I rescued you from hell and I offered you eternal life. I want to see the demonstrations of your fondness for me and the actions that you do because the, the real expression of love comes in the exhibition or the demonstration of those things that reflect your submission to me. And there's lots of people that love Jesus because they believe he saved them. He forgave them of their sin. He offered them eternal life. And sometimes we call them as they're big fans of Jesus. They really like him. He's a cool guy. But he's inviting us to follow him, not just be fans. So followers of Christ are people that move out in obedience to his ways. And at the top of the list of his ways is this idea of love, of unselfishly moving to meet the needs of others in our life. And Jesus is saying, You want to show me you love me? Well then do what I ask you to do. Don't just, you know, show up at church and you know go through the motions of saying, Well, this is how I love you. I sit here and listen for an hour. He's going, Well, I appreciate that. But what I need you to do is go home and love your your spouse, and love your kids, and love your neighbor, and love your classmates, and love your, your peers at work by demonstrating acts of kindness and generosity in ways that serve and help them. Yeah, that's like buying flowers for your wife or being a complete jerk to her the rest of the week. It's like,
0: <laughs> exactly. it's not even a gift at this point. You're a jerk. <laughs>
1: That's a great way to describe that. You know,
0: I think a lot of this tension comes in because in our heads, we either are horrible at selling it to ourselves or um, churches aren't very good at selling the goodness of the kingdom of God. We think we're losing something. Yes. We think we're losing something in that we just have to refrain from all the fun everybody else is having. That's, that's the core issue here, I no. think is that we we think
1: we're losing something when in reality we're gaining something. Oh, without a doubt. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the way that I've really reframed it for myself, and I try to share this when I have opportunities to teach to it, is what Christ is inviting us to and what wisdom affords is something so much greater than happiness. It's healthiness. That really, the happiest people on planet on the planet are people who are healthy, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. They're yeah. just in good places, and so then happiness comes from that. Um, Victor Frankel has a great quote. Again, mm. not in in any kind of exact quote, but he makes the point that happiness is not something you pursue. It's something that results from what you pursue. Yeah. And so the person who pursues a healthy life, and I mean healthy physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, they're doing the, the good things that provide for a healthy life. Those are going to be the happiest people. That's, in my understanding of the scripture, particularly the Old Testament word of blessing, the word blessing at its root means happy. So every time you read, you know, blessed is the person who does this or that in keeping with God's design, he's just simply saying happy is the person who lives their life life in obedience to God's design. And so the happiest people are the healthiest people, and happy really in the scriptures is joy. And joy is something deeper, more abiding, that no matter what might be happening in your life that's difficult and disappointing and, and, and even dangerous, you can know a sense of joy because of the healthy place that you are, spiritually, relationally, emotionally. And um, again, we're, we're not giving anything up when we pursue the kingdom. The only thing that we're giving up is the approval of and the acceptance of and the affirmation of a world that lives in contrast to Christ. And the desires of our own flesh. Yeah. And so there's the battle, but what I'm giving up is not good for me in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's like the alcoholic getting rid of the alcohol.
1: Yes. And so really it's all gain, um, both in this world and in the one to come. And the person who understands that see all that goes back to perspective it all goes back to what i believe which shapes my perspective so now i just look at my life i look at work i look at school i look at my neighborhood i look at my my marriage my family from a completely different perspective than a person who doesn't have that sort of influence in their life
0: yeah it, it, to kind of give an example of that like um, i just told you this but like i've I was diagnosed with ADD, right? And I'm coming off of taking medication for that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was great when I had the medication, but everything like the other aspect of, aspects of my life were unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Like the thing that was supposed to solve the problem. People can say this anyway, like I enjoyed is it. it it's an addictive medication. But I enjoyed this thing sin not that it, it itself yeah, is sinful, but but, s- but sinful is Sinful things are normally enjoyable in the moment, Yeah, right? That's what makes us want to do yeah. them.
1: Hebrews tells us that. Yeah,
0: and, and uh, Craig Rochelle always, <laughs> regardless of this, he always said, I kind of like this line. He's like, s- s- listen, sin's fun, and if it's not, you're not doing it right. <laughs> and I was like, you know, he's got a point. Um, and, and Granted, he was just making a joke. Yeah. But but, anyways, everything else in my life is becoming unhealthy of this thing. And so, like to your point, like there is a such there's such um, a, a power and importance of having healthiness kind of across the
1: board and
0: things that impede on that healthiness are not good for
1: you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that sin is so appealing and at times so pleasurable is all the work of the deceiver. It, it entices and seduces you into it to where you start practicing it because of its great pleasure but underneath it is destruction and underneath of it is danger and underneath of it is consequences but he's okay we're over here in this kingdom and he's pulling you into his rules and the way that he does is oh i'll make this really juicy i'll make this really pleasurable and so in our human nature we chase after it but he he doesn't tell you the truth that you do this long enough, you'll find yourself in the backwash of this choice. Meanwhile, you have God over here saying, no, no, that, that that's not going to bring you the happiness that you long for. Steer clear of that because it's dangerous and destructive. Here's another way, a better way, and this is the way of wisdom and the blessing that comes with it will be so much more rewarding than what you're going to find is a very temporary delusion over here and it's, there's so many parallels to, you know, so many insights to how the kingdom of God is very different from the kingdom of Satan. But the kingdom of Satan has a great PR firm, and it markets itself well, primarily just because I think one of the biggest ones is so many people follow after it that you, you become unpopular, you become... Um, you become the minority and most people, they don't like to live in that world. Well, they also, you mentioned this, uh,
0: this past Sunday, but the kingdom of the world really requires no self-control. Right. And the kingdom of God requires self-control. I mean, um, I think that I was just, I'm kind of on this addict, uh, analogy, but like the re (laughs) just abstaining from going to, say, a party where you know you're going to make bad decisions. That that can suck in the moment, yeah. that feeling, or or not having to that extra drink, or not going with that girl into that hotel room. Yeah. It can suck in the moment because it, it is almost like a waning process. You've described sin as a coping. Yeah. Me- it's like a coping mechanism. And it's oftentimes what addicts, I mean, they're just coping. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it is waning off the world can take some time and it can be painful. But, you know, like all other addictions, you start to see that light at the end of the tunnel and you're like, oh my, you start basking in it. You're like, oh my gosh, it's so much better.
1: Yeah, I have a dear friend who, um, I think he's celebrating 17 years of sobriety from Mm. alcohol. And I met him when he was, not when he had started his alcoholism, but when he was in the throes of, all of the brokenness, yeah. relationally, professionally, um, he was reaping the consequences of the choices that he made. And you talk to him now, and he can look back on those days and go, man, I was a mess. And as much as I thought alcohol was the solution for my problems and it you know allowed me to numb myself away from what I was dealing with inside and outside, he says... 17 years removed and the way that i appreciate life and the way i appreciate my marriage and my kids and my talents and just being alive he says it's it's light years different and um but satan's not going to tell you that up front he's (laughs) he's going to pull you into and he's going to use your friends and your education and your you know your your experiences of life to pull you into that, which is really, really destructive in the long run. Meanwhile, you got the kingdom of God over here saying, "Come live by my rules." You think you might be giving something up, but you're gaining something more than you'll ever imagine. And yeah, it might be hard not being able to, not being able to participate in those <laughs> things that your friends might be doing. But I, I'm the maker and creator of life, so. It's hard right now when you're 16. But I tell you, when you're 36 and your life's not complicated by all the brokenness of the poor choices that you made when you're 16, you'll thank me because that's wisdom. Wisdom is the long run. I do the, I do the hard things now so that the future is not hard. We really need to start selling this as
0: like, hey, like living worldly, that's level one. You can go play down on level one, but like come up to level two. I mean, you're being called to something higher. Come play up on the higher level. Yeah, right. And we never sell it as something like, like you said, you said being able to. And I know that that's why you did this. Yeah, it's like no, no, no. Why are you squabbling around there? Down that, like down there. Um, Come higher. Come, come live into a fuller, more meaningful, more healthy, more sustaining, and content, joyful, happy place to live.
1: Yeah, when I got interested in the whole topic of wisdom, and this was years and years ago, you know, I have two topics that fascinate me, and I d- tend to traffic a lot in them, the, the topic of wisdom and the topic of grace. I, I don't know. They just are endless fascinations to me. And when I started really tracking along a study of wisdom and then seeing its, its fruit, both in my life or in the life of other people that I know, i'm like this is the best deal on planet earth is if you will learn to live wisely your life can be so much better than the option Mm. and um you know reading through the book of proverbs and i just go man if if we could get teenagers to understand you know the big contrast of the book of Proverbs is, you know, wisdom or foolishness. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. So they use in Proverbs, these two women are created as personifications of wisdom and and foolishness. And the one woman's name is Folly. And she's always described as having the biggest mouth. I mean, she's just so boisterous and loud and cavalier and the rules don't apply to her. And she can just sort of, you know, Go through life without any accountability, any responsibility. Unchecked, as you described a little bit earlier. And, and that looks real appealing when you're 16. Don't anybody tell me how to live my life. Yeah, go to a college campus. You'll see. <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that is yeah. that. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, our society steeped in this whole permissive do whatever I please, whatever makes me feel good. And meanwhile, <laughs> then you have the contrast in the book of Proverbs of this woman. Her name is Wisdom. And she's quieter and she's humbler and she's industrious and she goes about her business and she calls people, hey, come this way. This is the better way. And there's several times in the book of Proverbs that it's the long run that foolishness ends up in brokenness and hurt and pain and and all sorts of destruction. Meanwhile, wisdom's over here, you know, reaping the fruit of her good choices and she's living in joy and peace and she's living in hope and, and her life is stable and she's not picking up the pieces of brokenness from poor choices. And man, when you, when you get your arms around that and start applying it to how you go about living your life, it's, it's amazing <laughs> how much it works. It's, it's funny how
0: we, we have trouble with it. We have trouble with it in our head. We're like, oh, but I really want to do this. Oh, I bet if I'd make this decision, even though God in his word has already said that it's not, that ain't the right choice, don't make that decision. And we make it and it doesn't turn out right. And we're like shocked. We're surprised when the creator of the universe or the creator of the game, we're surprised whenever we whenever we live in accordance to the way that he's created the rules, whenever it pans out great. yeah, We're like, wait a minute. Of course the... The universe. I'm gonna. I don't mean that new agey. Yeah, yeah. But of course, the world, the universe. Of course, of course. Whenever we live, like in accordance to proverbs. Whenever I taught proverbs the other day to the high schoolers, I said, "Hey, uh, to understand proverbs, you need to understand that these aren't necessarily promises. They're principles. And so it's like saying, if you live this way most of the time, this is how it's going to play out." well it's because god's created this world and the world rewards rewards us yeah. whenever we live according to it yeah it's such a beautiful thing but we're always so shocked we're
1: like what <laughs>
0: that's just yeah. us and our ignorance but
1: yeah so what's that all come back to it comes back to faith yeah it comes back to what you trust do i really trust that god way god's way is better or do i want to follow after these things all my friends are doing or my professors told me to or you know whatever I, do i want to pursue these worldly things Because I think they look better, and I think that would be more fun. And I think, well, I think is a declaration of I know better than God. Yeah. So the act of faith is I'm going to trust that God's design is better. Yeah. And while I may not be able to see it in the immediate, my trust in his way is that in the long run, it will be a whole lot better. Because when you're waking up at 35 and 45 and not picking up the pieces of a catastrophe because of poor choices that you made when you were 16, it's a whole lot better. And I see it all the time. I mean, as a pastor, I have so many encounters with people that are picking up the pieces of the foolish choices they made when they ignored God's design. Mm. And, um, man. If I could get people to to buy the wisdom thing, uh, it would be it would be awesome. Well, and I love it too because it's just
0: so it's it's more grippable. Grippable. You can you can get your hands on living out God's wisdom because it's it's actionable. Yeah. It's hey, do these things. But we we've done away so much with the action side of our faith, which is oftentimes people call the religious side. Yeah. (laughs) Heaven forbid. But um, we've done away so much with that that now it's so amorphous and it's yeah. all up in it's all up here this relational thing, which it is. But if we just go back to like, hey, live this way, and let's just take a
1: look. Yeah, and part of the you know the the move away from that live this way was the impact yeah. of legalism. Yeah. And it became kind of these rules and rituals that you do to sort of earn your way. And that was all wrong and that was all that was all deceptive. It God never intended it to be that way. But when religion or, you know, spiritual abuse turns it into that kind of stuff, then it does. It becomes a negative yeah. it becomes a negative imprint of how you understand it all. Yeah. Meanwhile, God wasn't inviting us to anything legalistic. He was inviting us to liberty, but the liberty wasn't to do what was selfish. The liberty was to learn a new and different way and the freedom that the gospel creates in our life to a whole better life than we could have ever imagined.
0: Yeah, we misunderstood how the liberty was under, uh, uh, obtained. Yes. We yes. thought that it was just a door we walked through, but it was actually right. a house we had to build, Yeah, kind of. Wow.
1: That was various.
0: I'm scared. on it, man. <laughs> Tell you what,
1: I'm still going back to grippable. I like that word. Do you it's like it? Totally fake. Did you just make it up? Oh, yeah. I do that often. He <laughs> did it with confidence, though. I'm sitting here going. If you just say it confidently, you're OK. Look. I'm sitting here going, do I challenge him on the word grippable <laughs> because he's going to pull out his dictionary and go, see? yeah, see, see Paul, look grippable. And then I'm going to. Uh, I've done that to you once. <laughs> yes, you did. But
0: see, you're the you're the only person that's probably going to be confident enough to call me on it. <laughs> Most of the people are going to be like, that's probably not a word, but not not I'm word not saying a word. Say I don't know. He said it with such confidence,
1: like you said. Yeah. Well, we're both kind of lovers of words, so um, I'll call you on it. Just accountability. Hey, that's all right. I did say no i you. going know, I'm gonna, once this podcast is over, I'm going to get on my phone and look up Grippable. I definitely, I'm pretty sure I made it up, but it <laughs> sounds great.
0: Like conversate. Conversate? Yeah. That you sounds you so that good. one?
1: Oh, yeah. Wow. Conversate. Instead of
0: converse?
1: Huh. <laughs> Yeah, when there's a much easier, more accepted word, converse. Uh, yeah, converse. well,
0: let's just accept, let's just do whatever's accepted, Bull. <laughs> <Touché. laughs> you're talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. If you're going to use that argument. That's true. Conversate just sounds better. Let's go, we were conversating. Kay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure
1: that's not a word.
0: No, it's not. Okay. No, I know it's not. Um. Okay, so back on the track. <clears throat> Part of living in the kingdom of God is that some things are um, going to have to be sacrificed, for lack of a better term. Yes. You're going to have to not do some things to do other things that are better. So how do we handle like the relationships with either people or things that <clears throat> might might not, and this, this is probably a whole podcast by itself, so we can kind of maybe keep it shorter, but th- that might not he- either help us or, or be part of... Of God's kingdom?
1: Yes. So basically, you're talking about boundaries. Yes. And the easiest way to define the boundary is at what point do I stop being the positive influence? Mm. So, as an ambassador, as a witness, as a priest, as a minister, my calling is to be the one who influences. But when I find myself in relationships or situations where it has the greater influence on me, then I think that's the instruction of come out, be separate from that, uh, steer clear of that, avoid that or the, those, those people or that, that person because they, they hold a power of influence over you that's compromising your capacity to choose well and to be the, the witness that you're supposed to be. And then that can be people and that can be things. Yeah. So in your earlier illustration about the the addict, um, if you're supposed to have the power over the alcohol, but if the alcohol has the power over you, then what you need to do is steer clear and run away and give up whatever opportunity might be yours that puts you in the position of the alcohol having the greater influence, and that's not even just addict. That's no, that's that's, that's drunkenness.
0: No, for instance, yeah, yeah. right? Like once you get to a place of drunkenness where your inhibitions are are getting slim, <laughs> getting slim. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's it's across the board of everything, and that can yeah. be like, you know, a young boy and a young girl. What situations they put themselves in that might lead to a sexual impropriety, promiscuity? Yeah. yeah. So the Christian young man and the Christian young woman says, "No, we're not going to put ourselves in that situation." Um, like you said, drunkenness, um, anything, anything that has an influence over you that takes away your power is not a is not a constructive thing.
0: Even small stuff like. This is going to sound silly, but, like, there's a reason why I go to the gym earlier in the day. Oh,
1: because of who's there? Who's there? Yeah.
0: I think it's just a wise choice, because it's not, I mean, even then, heads down, 24-7. Yeah. But, I mean, like, small stuff like that, which seems so arbitrary.
1: Yeah, and so, uh, and that's a great point, is that so many people would say, oh, that's so ridiculous. I don't think that that's what's really necessary for me to follow Christ. And I go, well, it really is. Yeah. If you're determined to live your life in a pure kind of way, then yeah, you have, to, you have to be willing to steer clear of places or the times of day where that sort of thing uh, would be of temptation to you. And that's part of your devotion. That's the holiness factor is I'm going to be so devoted to my faith that I'd be willing to say I'll go to the gym at 5 o'clock in the morning because most likely the people who are showing up there are going to dress differently and behave differently than the crowd that may show up at 6 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, And people may say, oh, that's silly, that's stupid, that's ridiculous. And you go, well, it isn't for me. It's part of me living under the submission of Christ and his kingdom, and this is important for my purity and honoring faithfulness to my wife that I just steer clear of that sort of situation. Yeah, that's a very... I mean, that's where faith becomes a very practical sort of thing. And that can have to do with what do you watch on television? That can can have an influence on what do you read and what do you listen to. That can have an influence, like you said, where you go. And um, yeah, you, you can go to the beach. But if you find yourself going to the beach for the purposes of checking out people, well, you're not. You're not pursuing a devotion to Christ that is a true reflection of what it was all about. And, it, yeah, it gets down to real practical sorts of um, steps and and um, endeavors just like that. And some people, you know, naturally some people are, oh, well, that's so legalistic or that's so silly. Or, and I go, well, you and I will just choose differently about what we understand to be the call of Christ in our life. Yeah, and it's not like like I'm saying, hey, you
0: you have to do these things. Um, No. And some people might not even have issues with certain things. But like for whatever it is that you do find yourself um, having issue with or or whatever attempted by, yeah, I mean, you just have to treat however you have to treat it.
1: Yeah, and I think that goes back to that live a quiet and peaceful life. You're not inflicting it on anybody else. You're just saying, this is how I'm determining to live my life in obedience to Christ. These are the things I quietly go about doing in order to, you know, protect my walk with him. I'm not saying you have to. I'm not saying it's, I'm not drawing it. Excuse me, I'm not drawing any attention to it. Now, if somebody asks, Wyatt, what are some of the practical steps that you take to, you know, guard your purity? Then then they're inviting it and you're saying, Well, I'm not saying you have to do it this way. I'm just saying here's some things that I've done that have helped me with what I'm trying to do. And that's a completely different attitude and a completely different purpose than, you know, inflicting it on somebody. Yeah.
0: Well, I just kinda I think it's really big I think it's a really, really wise thing to do is to ask yourself why you do everything you're doing. Like I talked to a lot of people who went to college or whatever and I'm like, okay, well, why did you go to the bar at that time? Why did you wear that? Oh, well, oh, just because I want to. I like it. It makes me feel pretty. It makes me feel handsome. Whatever. I'm like, no, oh, that's so dumb. Shush. That's not it. Shush. No, 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 no. You get, like. There's so many other reasons there. And and, and people start to understand it, but a yeah. lot of times people don't even ask themselves, sure. well, why do I consistently go here at this time? Or why do I go this? Why am I wearing this? And so asking yourself that and... Um, digging around into what your motivations are that maybe you're not even consciously aware of. Um,
1: yeah, so that's essentially what, what you're describing there is the examined life. Yeah. It is being thoughtful about the very motivations of your heart, the very intentions of your action, and asking, God, is there any sinful way in me? Mm. Is, is there Search any- me. Yeah. yeah search me oh god psalm what 51 i think
0: it's one of those dangerous
1: prayers <laughs> yeah you are you and and then we connect that to the you know the work of the holy spirit and if we're in tune with the holy spirit part of his responsibility is guide and direct us and sometimes He may do that by convicting us and to say okay honestly why are you wearing that honestly why are you going there honestly why are you watching that oh i just like the show no you like the show because it appeals to your purient nature about sexuality Mm -hmm. you're watching it because you're hoping to see stuff it's not because the script is so good and not because the acting's so good and not because well everybody's watching it you're watching it because it appeals to the sexual desires that you have that you know the real reason why you're watching it. And and that goes back to the spirit of God convicting you, say, it'd be wiser to turn it off.
0: It's like saying you're reading Fifty Shades of Grey because of the great writing. <laughs> yes. And the reason I bring that up is because like 80% of American women read that book. <laughs> so get convicted.
1: <laughs> get convicted. But anyways, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> no, no I, seriously, we talk about an examined life and very few Christians, unfortunately, live that kind of depth of examination yeah and because it comes with accountability and it comes with work and it comes with discipline and telling yourself no and it comes with self-control and most people aren't willing to do that that level of work it's scary to see the pieces of you that even whenever you're a christian like
0: being it's scary to see that whenever you're like kind of got two feet in each kingdom
1: Yeah. Ooh, there's still a bunch of me that's like not taken care of. Yeah. So I was actually thinking about that. Is is it possible to straddle the two kingdoms? And the more I pondered that, the more I was thinking, no. If you're trying to straddle the two kingdom by the two kingdoms by default, you are serving the kingdom of
0: darkness. And that's not. To clarify, I think, and you can fit me if you're wrong, that's not being in the kingdom of God and failing, as we all do. That's being in the kingdom of God and justifying your foot that's left in the kingdom of the world. Yes. Okay.
1: And that's, you know, Jesus talked about, you know, serving two masters. Yeah. And he says you can't do it because one of those masters is always going to have a greater influence. Yeah. So don't tell me about serving two different masters. You can't do it. Therefore, you have to make a choice. What master are you going to serve? And yeah, there's there's a lot of people, and it may be typical of kind of the younger rebellious heart. But I'm not saying that older people don't also do it. But you got that old crotchety heart that doesn't. It's stubborn. <laughs> That's stubborn. But, yeah, there is a sense of sort of the youthful, rebellious spirit that says, no, I, I can do it. I can live I can live for Christ, and I can pursue the things of the world. And Christ says, mm-hmm. well, the fact that you're trying to pursue the things of the world, too, just tells me that you're not fully devoted to me. And if you're not fully devoted to me, you're working for the other team. The rich young ruler is that.
0: Yeah. And Christ was okay with him walking. I mean, I'm sure that he was saddened by the fact that he... Sure. But I mean, like, at the end of the day, yeah. Christ is going to survive with the rich-hung ruler walking away from. You know? <laughs> yeah. The message will still... Ah, that's, that's tough, too. It's like, hey, God's going to be okay if you choose not to be in his kingdom. Yeah. But you want to there. Yeah. Well, this was good. Any closing thoughts? Um, We bounced, but it was a good combo.
1: No, I think we stayed on track. We just covered it from a number of different angles. Maybe it was just my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think I would close with these two kingdoms are very real. Mm. And you can't see them. You can't touch them. It's not like there's a castle and a throne and a king that sits on. But they are very real. And this is the whole spiritual dimension of life that you can't, touch taste or see but it is very real and there is a kingdom of darkness and there is a kingdom of light and one is ruled by satan and one is ruled by god and every human being makes a choice who am i going to serve and the kingdom of darkness sounds a lot like at times this is the deception well i'm my own king i get to do as i please Mm -hmm. well Yep, well then you can pick up all the pieces on your own too and you can try to work out your own eternal uh, destination on your own too. And and the whole time there was this kingdom of God that you refused to listen to or to submit to and now you'll reap the consequences. So I, I would love, I, I know it's harder for some minds than others. You have some real kind of... of um, really concrete thinkers and they have a hard time imagining kind of abstract ideas. Um, I don't think that's true of everybody, but there there is this really abstract, meaning intangible idea of the kingdoms. And if I could somehow help people embrace those abstractions to the point of making decisions in relationship to them, then essentially what we've done is created a true follower of Jesus, because at the end of the day, a true follower of Jesus was one who lives in obedience to the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is this is the way of a Christian, and so it may not be easily um, imagined, but if somebody can develop a way of thinking around it, it it can be life changing. Mm. So I, that's my, my parting thoughts. Parting thoughts? Yeah, that's my parting
0: Good thoughts. Good parting thoughts. <laughs> Good. All right, folks. Well, we'll see you guys next time. We hope you enjoyed this presentation of Cibola Creek Community Church. If you did, please consider supporting the ministry of our church. Your donations make a difference. To check out more resources or to share a gift, please visit us at CibolaCreek.com. Thanks for listening.